Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys, episode 8. 8. I'm David. I'm Scott. Hi there. We're glad you're here today. And today we are moving through uh, Reformed Pastor, and we realized in our, uh, in our post, post-production meeting last week uh, that we, in the last couple of podcasts, have been saying that we were in chapter 2 of Reformed Pastor, but that was not correct. No, that, that, no, it was not. Although was, I, I do like that we called it a post-production meeting. It makes it sound like <laughs> like we actually super know. fancy. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we realized that we were calling it chapter two. Really, it was section two of chapter one, <laughs> and we were just getting way ahead of ourselves, thinking that we had reached the second chapter of this book. We have definitely not done that. Nope. And uh, still working on that. In fact, today uh, we're going to be moving through point eight of section two of chapter one of Richard Baxter's Reformed Pastor. I hope you, hope you got all that. That's, yeah. that's Puritans for you. They that's, divide everything up. They, 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 it's, it's outlined very well, uh, but it's sometimes kind of complex. So just complex. so you know, what we're planning on doing um, is we're going to finish this, uh, Lord willing, this podcast and next, we're going to actually finish chapter one. Of, Lord, Lord willing. Of the, of the book Reformed Pastor. And when we do that, we're going to take a little pause. We, we will have done uh, either nine or ten episodes in chapter one <laughs> of this book. Uh-huh. And so we're going to hit another book by Old Dead Guys uh, that we really like, and it's a book called The Valley of Vision. And we'll spend a few weeks walking through um, some, of the, some of our favorite prayers from The Valley of Vision, and then we'll get back in and, uh, and try to, to push through chapter two of Reform Pastor. Both section one and section two and all the subsections and all the sub-subsections and everything else. Praise so. the Lord. <laughs> all right. So section eight this time is, uh, is we're going to do, there's underneath subsection eight, there's subpoint one, two, three, and four. four. Uh-huh. We're going to do subpoints one and two, two. today. So That's we'll just kind of take time as we move through. David, would you like to read today? Sure. Let's awesome. do it. Lastly. Take heed to yourselves, for the success of all your labors doth very much depend upon this. God useth to fit men for great works before he employs them as his instruments in accomplishing them. Now, if the work of the Lord be not soundly done upon your own hearts, how can you expect that he will bless your labors for effecting it in others? He may do it if he please, but you have much cause to doubt whether he will. I shall here mention some reasons which may satisfy you, that he who would be a means of saving others must take heed to himself, and that God doth more seldom prosper the labors of unsanctified men. Okay, so real quick before we go into, because we're not even at sub sub point one. (laughs) Uh, but what he's after here is that that the, the success in ministry, whatever we might call success in ministry, is contingent upon our personal holiness and sanctification. That the first thing we should attend is being sure that we ourselves are pursuing holiness. So yeah, and he says we should. He said the Lord may work in us if we do not work in ourselves. If we do not pursue holiness in ourselves, the Lord may choose to work in us despite that. But we should doubt that he would. Mm. 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 Okay. So. All right, cool. Here we go. He's going on from there. So this is sub point one. 
can it be expected that God will bless that man's labors? I mean, comparatively, as to other ministers, who worketh not for God, but for himself? Now, this is the case with every unsanctified man. None but converted men do make God their chief end, and do all or anything heartily for his honor. Others make the ministry but a trade to live by. They choose it rather than another calling, because their parents did destine them to it, or because it affordeth them a competent maintenance, because it is a life wherein they have more opportunity to furnish their intellects with all kinds of science, or because it is not so toilsome to the body, to those that have a mind to favor their flesh, because it is accompanied with some reverence and respect from men, and because they think it is a fine thing to be leaders and teachers and have others receive the law at their mouth. For such ends as these they are ministers, and for these do they preach. And were it not for these or similar objects, they would soon give over. And can it be expected that God should much bless the labors of such men as these? It is not for him they preach, but themselves, and their own reputation or gain. It is not for him, but themselves that they seek and serve, and therefore no wonder if he leave them to themselves for the success. And if their labors have no greater a blessing than themselves can give, and if the word reach no further than their own strength can make it reach. Mm. So, so number one is this picture that Baxter gives us of the man who goes into ministry uh, because it's a, it's a trade to live by. And then he gives some reasons why they would do that. But ultimately, a lot of it really revolves around fear of man. People will respect me if I do this. And, uh, you know, I've, I've shared, at least in our congregation, a number of times my ministry calling. And, uh, and I, can, I, can re- I can relate to this as an early believer um, graduating from college. Uh, if you had asked me why I aspired to be a pastor, I would have... I would have told you uh, because I felt called to it. I would have given you all the right reasons. But now, 20 years removed from that, uh, I can tell you for a fact that the primary reason that I wanted to do that was because I was seen and recognized by other people. And I desired to be seen and recognized by other people. And God, in his infinite mercy, chose to, uh, to intersect my life with men who confronted me in that and exhorted me to not enter the ministry, but instead to join a local church and be discipled by other men. And uh, man, by God's grace, that's what I did. And, and did so for, for quite a long time until, the, until finally and truly felt a call uh, to serve people. Like that's really what this comes down to. If you don't feel some deep-seated desire, like an inward spiritual desire to lay your life down for the cause of Christ and call sinners to repentance and serve others and get nothing in return, then I would say you're not called to ministry regardless of how good you are at articulating things. Mm. And so, so this, is, this is what he's after. And, and, and that is wrapped up in the sentence, it's because it is accompanied with some reverence and respect from men and because they think it is a fine thing to be leaders and teachers and have others receive the law at their mouth. And, and the end work, the end result of that um, in the end of the section, the word will reach no farther than their own strength can yeah. make it reach. 
Yeah. I love the question. If they are not doing their ministry for God, then why should God help them? Right. Why, why, why shouldn't God just allow them to do whatever they do in their own power? Absolutely. And Baxter puts forth that that's the very thing that happens. And here's the thing. This, this again, is how Baxter is not just practical for pastors, but also for lay people, because this is not just true of pastors, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you do, why do you serve in the capacity that you serve in a local church, church member? Is it, is it so that others will see you and recognize you? Why, why do you serve as a deacon? Why do you serve as a nursery worker? Why do you serve as a Sunday school teacher? Why do you, why do you do what you do? If the answer to that question is anything other than God's glory, then, you know, Baxter's going to make the argument, and so we should too, because I believe the Bible makes the argument that your motivations are faulty. Mm-hmm. And, and you would rather, as a pastor, you'd rather have empty spots with, with no servants in them than to know that there are people who are serving wrongly. Yeah. Right? There's, a, there's an admonition there for all of us, not just for pastors, but for all of us, to examine why it is you do what you do. Mm-hmm. Motive matters a ton. Motive matters. Yeah, God, God, not looks, God does not look at the outward appearance, but at the heart. heart. And heart implies motive. Yeah, very yeah, very poignant and practical. All right, I'm sorry, David. Oh. Chased no, your rabbit. Carry no, on. No, no problem here. <laughs> Subpoint two. Can you think that he is likely to be as successful as others who dealeth not heartily and faithfully in his work, who believeth not what he saith, and is not truly serious when he seemeth to be most diligent? And can you think that any unsanctified man can be hearty and serious in the ministerial work? A kind of seriousness, indeed, he may have, such as proceedeth from a common faith or opinion, that the word is true, or he may be actuated by a natural fervor or by selfish ends, but the seriousness and fidelity of a sound believer who ultimately intendeth God's glory and men's salvation, this he hath not. O sirs, all your preaching and persuading of others will be but dreaming and vile hypocrisy till the work be thoroughly done upon your own hearts. Mm-hmm. How can you set yourselves day and night to a work that your carnal hearts are averse to? Mm-hmm. How can you call with serious fervor upon poor sinners to repent and return to God that never, and that never repented or returned yourselves? Mm-hmm. How can you heartily follow poor sinners with importunate solicitations to take heed of sin and to lead a holy life that never felt yourselves the evil of sin or the worth of holiness. Oh, okay. All right. That's worth stopping. So, uh, all right, David, what do you think he's saying there? What's the, what's the message? I mean, he's saying, how, how can you, how can you ask those, those who hear you? to put away sin, to turn to God, if you have not put away sin and turned to God. How? How can you do it? How can you do it? Without it being what he, without it being what he calls vile, vile hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, you know what time it is, David? Oh, you know what time it is? You ready? I'm here. I'm listening for it. Ding! And now it's time for the Puritan word of the day. <laughs> the Puritan word of the day is importunate. Importunate. It means persistent. Especially to the point of annoyance, 
or intrusion. Importunate. Mm. Importunate. Not to be confused with important. Yeah. yeah. So, so that sentence that that word incurs in. How can you heartily follow poor sinners with importunate solicitations to take heed of sin? In other words, how can you heartily, you know, follow these people and and encourage them to repent of these importunate sins, these these consistently annoying, like persistent sort of sins, and and you've never felt the worth of holiness. Mm. 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 This was. The Puritan word of the day. <laughs> oh, me. Okay. We ready for the next paragraph? Yeah, I think so. Let's All do right. it. These things are never well known till they are felt, nor well felt till they are possessed. And he that feeleth them not himself is not likely to speak feelingly of them to others nor to help others to be the feeling of them. How can you follow sinners with compassion in your hearts and tears in your eyes and beseech them in the name of the Lord to stop their course and return and live and never had so much compassion on your own soul as to do this much for yourselves? What? Can you love other men better than yourselves? Can you have pity on them who have no pity upon yourselves? Sirs, do you think they will be heartily diligent to save men from hell that be not heartily persuaded that there is a hell? Mm. Or to bring men to heaven that do not truly believe that there is a heaven? As Calvin saith on my text, for never will the man take diligent care for the salvation of others who neglects his own salvation. Ooh. He that hath not so strong a belief of the word of God and of the life to come as will withdraw his own heart from the vanities of this world and ex excite him to the holy diligence for salvation cannot be expected to be faithful in seeking the salvation of other men. Surely he that dare damn himself, dare let others alone in the way to damnation. He that, like Judas, will sell his master for silver, will not stick to make merchandise of the flock. He that will let go his hopes of heaven, rather than leave his worldly and fleshly delights, will hardly leave them for the saving of others. We may naturally conceive that he will have no pity on others that is willfully cruel to himself, that he is not to be trusted with other men's souls who is unfaithful to his own and will sell it to the devil for the short pleasures of sin. I confess that man shall never have my consent to have the charge of other men's souls and to oversee them in order for to their salvation that takes not heed to himself but is careless of his own, hmm. except it were in the case of absolute necessity that no better could be had. Mm. And who wants to be that? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so we're ending this point, uh, kind of, if you will, landing the plane on this sub sub point. The sentence that stands out to me, never will the man take diligent care for the salvation of others who neglects his own salvation. Mm. Right. I mean, yeah, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna care for other people. It's it's like the it's like the Christian parent who desires for their children to love Jesus, um, 
but, but doesn't pursue Christ with all their heart. Mm. You know, you want your kids to be, quote unquote, be Christian, and yet you fail to pursue Christ and repent of sin and seek forgiveness and, and, and put sin to death and, and to do those things that are really our calling as Christians. Yeah. And, and you then wonder why your kids come out just like you mm. because it's more of what you are. Parenting is so much reproducing what you are. You will, you will teach people what you know, but you will reproduce what you are. That's, that's what comes out. And, uh, and so to, to, to see that in the ministry and to see how it's had such an effect on the church. You know, there are a number of churches uh, that you can, you can see the sins of the pastor because they've been replicated in the, in the lives of the congregants. You know, the pursuits and the pleasures. So, yeah. yeah. And not just that, but I mean, also you can see the, the successes of the pastor. Yes. You, know, you can see the things that he does well in yes. his congregation. Absolutely. Because, I mean, your hearers naturally model after you. Yep. Just, it just kind of naturally happens. That's why he said earlier in the book, when, when my preaching goes cold, I find that the best of my hearers also go, go cold. cold. Yeah, absolutely. He is not to be trusted with other men's souls who is unfaithful to his own and will sell it to the devil for the short pleasures of sin. sin. Mm. Mm. Man, man. And then finally, you know, what he's saying is I will never, I will never approve a man for ministry um, that doesn't take care of himself. And then he says, except we're in case of absolute necessity that no better could be had. I don't, I, this is the first time in the whole book <laughs> that I think I disagree with Baxter. I don't know that there is a case of absolute necessity where no better man could be had, where you should put a man whom he spent, you know, thousands of words saying is disqualified. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure you would, I'm not sure you would put that man in that spot. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm certain that I wouldn't put that man in that spot. Yeah. I mean, as we stand, the Lord has blessed our church with great growth and we are in need of at least one more elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God has not seen fit to raise that person up. And the very last thing that we're wanting to do and that we will not do, period, is to put someone who doesn't aspire to that, who hasn't felt called to that, who doesn't. And, and, and that's, just, that's just that part of it. Not to mention, would you appoint an elder who does not meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3? And I think no. the answer needs to be a resounding no. No. I'm not quite sure. I would love to be able to sit down. I wish Baxter were right here because I'd like yeah. to say, hey, Richard, what, you, what, what, what were you, you thinking there? What did you mean by that? I don't yeah. think I understand exactly what you're saying here. I think this might also be this might also be the first time that Richard Baxter has qualified something that he said in this book. Hmm. <laughs> because mm. a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of Richard Baxter, at least so far, has just been very absolute, very absolute, punchy, gut I mean, just gut punch, gut punch, gut punch, gut punch. Yeah. And this is, I think this is the first time that he's kind of, he's kind of pulled that punch a little bit. I which, think so. It almost makes me wonder if there was, if he's thinking about a time in his life where he might have done this in the past. Maybe. Maybe early on. Maybe. Before he knew what, before he had quite come to these conclusions. Yeah. And he's trying to. But there's a. I don't know. For, I don't know. For what it's worth, regardless of whether you agree with it or not, this is a. It's a principle of reading a book that's probably worth mentioning. If you read a book that isn't the Bible, mm-hmm. and you walk away from that book having agreed with everything that was said, there's one of two things. Number one, you probably didn't read it carefully enough, because there's probably something in there that you just go, mm, I'm not sure about I'm that. I'm not sure. 
Or or number two, um, your your perspective is wrong on reading. You know, reading is supposed to be critical engagement. It's supposed to be read this, think about it, mull it over in your mind. You know, which is really the primary reason we're doing this podcast, right, is to stop a, a few paragraphs in and think about what's being said. And up to this point, uh, I don't know that we've disagreed with anything Baxter has said. I can't um, think of anything. You know, with and, 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 and yet here we sit. Now, there are always two options here. You could be like, oh, I don't agree with this, therefore I'm going to stop reading this book. Or you can think about it and ask, seriously, why don't I agree with this? Like, what is it about this idea that just kind of sticks in my craw, to use a colloquialism? And, and, and that's really healthy, really important with reading a book, you know, to, to, to not just... You know, these people are smarter than me, therefore I'm going to wholesale agree with everything they're saying. No, 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 to quote Paul, by no means, because, you know, we are a kingdom of priests. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we don't have to have a priest to tell us how to read the Bible. That's like all of Protestantism is that we have the Bible. <laughs> we have the word and we have the ability to engage critically with those people who also have the word and look and see things differently. And we should do that, which mm-hmm. is. So, so I really am thankful for this section because I think it hits the heart of exactly what we're trying to do here. You mm-hmm. know, 99.7% of everything we just read, I think is on point. Mm-hmm. But then there's that little part. And I'm honestly, you find yourself better by reading a book and disagreeing with parts of it. It's the parts of a book you disagree with that often sharpen you more than the parts that you agree with. Mm-hmm. So, so there we go. That mm-hmm. is... Subsection one and two of subsection eight of the second half of chapter one. Chapter one. We're almost there, guys. We're almost yeah. there. Hang on with us. We got one more. Then we're going to stop and do some Valley of Vision. So <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening today. We are now live on Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts. And Lord willing, by this time, Apple will approve us on Apple Podcasts. So if you get the chance to like and share we would really appreciate that yeah hope it's a blessing to you if it's a blessing to you if you think about uh helping us to expand this as we continue to read books by old dead guys yeah thanks guys have a great day goodbye